Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 63. I'm your host, Em, and with me is regular host, Jackson Tyler. Hello! And special guest, former co-host, now just a third chair sometimes, Destiny Sturdivant. Hi! It's video games for the month of May. How is everybody doing? What have you been playing? What is up? Uh, Destiny, you can go first as our guest. Um, I've been playing a lot of Persona 5. You let people know what Persona 5 5 is if they don't know, if the three people on Earth who don't know what Persona is? (laughs) (laughs) It's an Atlas JRPG that came out recently. It's about these uh, school kids who are thieves, and they steal hearts to change the minds of wayward folk around town. So... Are you, like, incepting them, or does it, like, actually, like, change them, like, (laughs) physically, like, affect their bodies? This is my one question about Persona. It's more Jungian and psychological than that. Like, you go into a physical realm that represents metaphorical emotions and desires, and you steal a object within, an object within that realm. And then when you come out of it... Um, that's when the person has a change of heart. I mean, that's basically that's, that's just the plot of Inception. Holy! <laughs> sh- I had never considered that an, uh, like an own of this magnitude could be delivered on Persona this yeah. fast. You <laughs> but, know what? I never thought of it. But it's all just it's it's all just Jungian stuff. Sure, but th- that's basically what Inception is. You go into someone's dream world, and then you interact with the objects there that represent their mental state, and then you can like extract information or change their minds or whatever. If oh, you would like yeah. to download my mixtape, Youngian Inception, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I guess it is. I just never thought of it that way. That's really funny. Uh, who's the best girl? Um, I don't think I've met her yet. Cause <laughs> the, Same, honestly. <laughs> I like the weird teacher that is your maid. And I like the punk doctor. But, like, as far as my team goes... We're about to get Makoto, and right now she's just kind of annoying. Which one's Makoto? She's the daughter, or excuse me, not the daughter. She's the sister of the policewoman who's investigating you, and she's also the student council president. Okay. And for some reason... Is she the squid girl? No, that's Fataba, Fataba? I haven't met her person yet. On is okay. She's just kind of silly. Uh, by episode 100, Jackson is going to be able to say Japanese names the first time with confidence. That's Jackson's goal. Never. No. I, I mean, I think I was right. I think I assume Futaba is the it's right. Futaba, yes. Yeah. Like, I was I, right the first time. I'm also really bad at this. I was calling Ryuji Ryuji for, like, ever. So. Yeah, my favorite uh, Street Fighter uh, character, Ryu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, other people can be bad at pronouncing Japanese names, but there's something about my specific kind of badness with my fucking Hugh Grant accent. British uh, it just, it just, it just play. sounds like you are literally incapable of forming the sounds needed to make the words work. <laughs> you know, it's close enough. I struggle. I struggle a lot. It's okay. Jackson, um, what have you been playing? Oh, you're, did you have more Destiny? Oh, uh, I, I'm enjoying it, even though it's weird. That's all. Go on. How many hours into Persona are you? Probably, what, 33? I haven't played much since the last time you asked me. 33. We'll say 33. Which dungeon are you in? Um, I'm about to start the third one. 
Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> what? You're going to play you're going to so be playing that game for 120 hours. That's all. Oh, well, I'll get my money's worth. <laughs> yep, no, that's fair. Yep. Jackson, what have you been playing? I've been playing read like turns to read auto cue Forza Horizon 3, a video <laughs> game. You drive. You tell people what Forza Horizon is and who made it and when it came out. Forza Horizon is uh the sub like the spin-off series of Forza Motorsport which is a simulation uh racing game that is more arcadey it is developed by uh Playground Games which is like a a studio formed out of the ashes of a bunch of classic British uh arcade racing studios like Bizarre Creations who made Project Gotham uh Criterion who um made Burnout uh, Ubisoft Reflections who made Driver before they were shot in the head and forced to make uh Watch Dogs uh, so it's like all of these teams and talents and people working on something that's recognizable and turning it into something that's more like a different thing you remember, which means it's incredibly good, but also just a mishmash of ideas and things that doesn't really hold together really well. But it's very fun and it's very beautiful. So as much as I'm like moaning about all the missed opportunities of like it doesn't have any of the sense of identity or purpose of like a burnout where you you know what you're doing you are racing you crash the cars that's what you do in burnout in this you can race you can drift you can do you know you can go jumping around you can get in a dune buggy and speed across australia and it's great uh but all of it feels kind of pointless because the treadmill of what you do is so like naked um there's no real design to the progression through the game uh but i'm having a lot of fun with it for as much as i'm griping so you know, AAA games in 2017, they're good, but they're kind of empty. But you enjoy them? You know, you know how it is. <laughs> That's fair. It's still Turn 10 making Forza proper, right? Turn 10 still make Forza proper. Like, they are involved with this because, you know, it's a Forza spinoff, but yeah, this is a Playground Games thing. Okay. The fact that you associate Bizarre Creations with Project Gotham and not, like, uh, what's that game? Uh, what's their... They did made, like, a weird kart racer, but without carts. Yeah, Blur. Yes, Blur. Everyone liked Blur. I, I remember Blur being a, big, being a big deal. Blur's good, but it came from Project Gotham. Like, Project okay. Gotham is why they matter. Uh, I mean, and the the actual truth is that Geometry Wars is why they matter. Well, sure, but that came, that also came from Project Gotham. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, speaking of Blur, Blackrock is also, like, there's DNA of that in... Um, who are the split, the split second people? So like split seconds also in here somewhere. I don't know. It's weird. They just hired everyone because there's who made no... split second? Was that Disney? Uh, that was BlackRock, who is a uh, that's a like a Brighton based British uh, okay. racing developer who were originally known as Climax. Who Why made, did I like, think that ATV. was Disney? Because ATV uh, uh, before Prey they got bought by Disney. Okay. Um, and then Disney shut them down after okay. uh, Split Second. In the, and they had sequels to both Split Second and Prey in the works at the time. But Prey? I think it is called Prey. Yeah, it is called Prey. That is actually the game. No, it's not Prey. That's the other fucking video game. There's so on, many right? video games called Prey. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not Prey. I'm pretty sure you're wrong about this. I, I don't even Prey. know what game we're talking about. but Pure. Pure. What the fuck am I talking about? I just said Prey like six times in a row. Yes. Pure. <sighs> The video game everyone remembers. Pure. I really liked it. You can drive around on the ATVs and do... Tr Look, it's me, the guy who suddenly realized this week how much I cared about this like weird subgenre of British racing games that but, doesn't like, exist. That, that name just exists right up there with Fuse and... 
Oh, no, God. Fuse is garbage. Pierre is good. People confuse them all the time because they have the fucking same name and they're both about like extreme sports, but they're very mm-hmm. different games. Rage. No, don't do this to me. <laughs> My favorite Blur album is Think Tank. I'm leaving this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I have been playing two games. What would you like to hear about? Assassin's Creed Unity or Injustice 2? Injustice! Okay. Uh, Injustice 2 came out uh, as we're recording just like five days ago. It is made by NetherRealm Studios. They make Mortal Kombat and Injustice, which is their DC Comics fighting game. Uh, The first Injustice came out on like PS3 and 360 and then got like a... It was one of those cross-generations where the Game of the Year version came out on like PS4, which was great. Um, But was like a weird game in that it was really ugly uh, and was really fun, but like... I don't know. That's one of those games where I feel like it was very hampered by its technology. Whereas Injustice 2 is just the most beautiful goddamn video game with like Nether Realms, uh, very detailed cinematic story mode that is a better superhero movie than superhero movies have been in the last probably 10 years. Uh, and that's great. And I'm enjoying it a lot. The thing with this game is it has loot. So you earn loot boxes by completing challenges or, uh, just like when your characters level up, you'll get loot unlocks and stuff like that. And so every character has like five gear slots that you can get new gear and it's cosmetic and it's got abilities and you level up and it's cool. Uh, that part just makes it a game where I'm like logging in every day to get my daily loot boxes that I get through like a mode that gives you five each day and checking my guild status to see if the guild's unlocked any new boxes. And that loop is weird. That's not really like like games I usually play. But, I mean, I guess I don't play like Destiny, so this is my destiny. I thought I was your destiny. That's not the same thing. Don't do that. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was a no, fun happened. joke. No, the, the, the tacit rule of our of abnormalmapping.com is that we cannot make Destiny Destiny jokes. I have told oh, that for 63 episodes. Too you know late. What? I listen to every episode of this podcast. I've been on a lot of them. Did not know that was a rule. It's like an unspoken rule for myself. I just know it's, it's is destiny the two allowed things to have make to be different destiny, in my head. Destiny jokes? I guess I guess of all people, you are allowed to do it. I feel uh, like the I actual scary be. thing is that as you said that, I suddenly realized that destiny as a concept, as a game, totally was a thing that people talked about before we started this podcast. Jesus Christ! Yeah. What? <sighs> You're very I'm just thinking about Bungie. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Carry just on. Thinking about Bungie. Don't worry about me. <laughs> That's you, Jackson. Thinking about Bungie. Hoisted. Yeah. You should play you should play Halo 5. Report back. Tell us how Halo 5 was. Alright. I've never played a Halo game. Uh we should play Halo, but we can't. So that's a shame. Yeah, yeah no, we're is. not gonna. Uh maybe someday you'll get me to play ODST. Probably not though. You don't own an Xbox One, so you never will. Yeah. When are they going to put out... When is emulation going to get to the point where I can play 360 games? That's my question. Uh, I mean, they should just port Master Chief Collection to PC and shoot the Xbox One in the fucking head. I would probably pay actual $60 for that. Yeah, no. People would, but they won't. So, you yeah. know. Uh, Jackson, you wrote about Forza Horizon. Do you want to tell people where they could find that writing? Uh, yeah, I wrote about Forza and I wrote about Puyo Puyo Tetris in the Patreon letters, which are exclusive weekly thoughts that me and M have uh, trading off each week. So one from both of us every two weeks. Um, 
uh, that are for five dollar patreons and above if you donate to our patreon at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping you can get exclusive writing along with many other cool benefits we just launched that recently it's very cool it seems to be doing well uh, i'm glad people enjoy the things that we create yeah uh if you fund it uh just we just need like 28 dollars more every month and jackson and destiny have to launch their mental health podcast again it's very exciting yep. so please support our patreon of course uh we're not gonna run a mid-roll ad yet but we'll probably start doing that in these episodes instead of pitching it every time we do a segment one uh and come back at the other end for more discussion with the three of us but in the meantime i have a pre-recorded segment two with kotaku's heather alexandra in which we talk about full throttle check that out after the break For segment two, we're here with special guest Heather Alexander. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I just hopped right in. No, it's okay. I was uh, like, oh, are we, are we doing this? And Apparently, yes, we are doing this. Let's do it. Uh, we're talking about uh, a wonderful adventure game. Yeah, we had you, um, gosh, two years ago at this point? Three? I don't know. It's been forever. We've been doing this think, podcast too long. I think um, it was probably two years. Yeah, because it was around the time it came out to talk about Grim Fandango Remastered. Yes. Grim Fandango Remastered. And I wanted to talk about Full Throttle Remastered uh, because uh, I thought it'd be great to have you because you played it, you reviewed it for Kotaku, and um, it'd be a great bookend. Um, This is one of those games that I think when we uh, did that episode I was talking about, I'd really love to play Full Throttle someday. And I was always heard that it was one of those games that was kind of finicky when you emulated it because of timing stuff. Uh, So I never even bothered, even though that, that was probably smoothed out by the time that I had heard about it. I don't really know about that. I I feel like most things run pretty well in Scum VM. Okay. Right? Yeah, maybe. I I'd always heard that some of those adventure games that had like timing puzzles that were keyed to like clock speed of your computer or something. That happens. There's a there's a puzzle I know there's stuff in Escape from Monkey Island, which is it's not a scum game. Or it's uh that's finally programmed in Lua. That's a little different. There's like a rolling ball puzzle. You should play Escape from Monkey Island. Is that the third will... or fourth one? That is the fourth one that everybody's okay. like, this is shit. And it's not good, but it's also not as bad as everyone says. It's really weird. Um, back in the day, I watched a Let's Play of like half of it. And it is a brutally ugly game. But it's still, yeah, no, it's still it's... Monkey Island. It's terribly ugly. It doesn't have like the same. Like Grim Fandango is pretty much the same, you know, fundamental engine and everything mm-hmm. that's been written for that but it doesn't look as bad because like everything's really abstract yeah and Grim Fandango's like uh, cinematic pulls are so much stronger than something yes. like Monkey Island 4 but but we are not here to talk about Monkey Island 4 we're talking about Full Throttle Full Throttle uh which is a game I like I said I've been wanting to play for years uh this was uh Tim Schafer's first game quote unquote his first yes. like lead um and the latest in a series of Double Finds re-releases. 
did the did the bikers give it away that it was Tim's? <laughs> did the bikers and the heavy music uh, you know, uh, give a give it up? <laughs> uh, it's weird because like I played Brutal Legend and like that's one of those games where I didn't like the game very much, but I thought the setting was really good. So yeah, the minute totally. I booted this up, I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. This is the most Tim Schafer game. Uh, I was really surprised at how like strong the voice was immediately. Yeah, it's very distinct, especially coming off of things that were maybe a little bit more factory created at that point, at least by the standard of like Lu- like LucasArts adventure games, right? So mm. you're getting into later on, there's like, I don't know what time Fate of Atlantis comes out and other things, but things that feel a little bit more boilerplate and a little bit more Lucasy. Mm-hmm. And then Full Throttle is very much like, oh no, this is rock and roll on a highway. Uh, Fate of Atlantis like, was ninety two, and then it was ninety two, and then it was Sam and Max, uh, which is has a very distinct voice because it's pulling from you know the comic. And then right. there's this. Makes sense. I like it. I like Full Throttle. I I think I don't like it as much as other people, but I do like Full Throttle. So this ended up being of all the Lucas Arts games I've played, my favorite so far. Really? Yeah. Wow. Overgrim really Overgrim Fandango. Yeah, um, and we'll get into it. So, the the like, even if you take away like all the story stuff, the part where it's like a playable game in a way, Grim Fandango is not helps a lot. Sure, there's a good sense of momentum in Full Throttle that I think other adventure games could probably learn from. Uh, so like the thing is like Grim Fandango is like an old style game in that it's like it's like legitimately like 15 hours long it, it takes a long time there's a lot of locations a lot of stuff happens um and i know that it was like criticized at the time but full throttle feels like a game you play now like i play a lot of like wajadai stuff uh like smaller adventure games going in and you're like oh i can complete this in an evening if i set my mind to it but like you know oh, yeah. five hours um and uh, Full Throttle just feels much more modern that way. Also, like, because it is not a super heavily inventory-focused or, like, verb-focused game, um, everything about it just feels very streamlined and very modern. Like, if if, you, if I didn't know this game was from 95, I would have totally accepted they just made, like, kind of a throwbacky point-and-click game that was, like, cool and pretty inspired today. Yeah, and I think you, you could probably be forgiven for thinking that it's, like, some sort of telltale vehicle, the way that it's structured, where it's much more... Um, so Telltale Adventure games are much more focused on driving the narrative forward and maybe having the occasional puzzle that has, like... So a good example of this is, let's use Grim Fandango for it, right? You go to the Petrified Forest early in that game, and you have, like, three different puzzles that are absolutely wild. You have the one with the machine and the timing. I, f- I forget what that damn thing is. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, then you have the one where the sign... You have to put the sign randomly down on the ground. That might be the worst forest. puzzle I have ever no, played it's, in an adventure it's, game. It's terrible. It's a load of bullshit. And then you have a little bit more timing stuff with the, like, flaming beavers. And, like, mm-hmm. it's all very distinct and has a lot of character and it's really abstract. And then Grimfang... Uh, excuse me, with Full Throttle, a lot of it's like, oh, there's a locked suitcase or, like, a locked chest or whatever right oh i have this crowbar i should hit the lock off of it it's it's much more direct mm-hmm. in a way that i kind of appreciate because anytime that you are able to do certain things or not do certain things like the things that you do tell you about your character right this is something we learned in high school yeah and so in this case it's like oh how does ben deal with these problems well he mostly just like kicks the door open and like breaks the lock off and goes up to the guy at the bar and gra- grabs him by his nose ring and slams him down yeah, uh, that my first like my first impression when I was like, okay, this game is uh, very cool and different compared to games of this era. Is like uh, it uses a simplified verb list where you can look 
talk or use mouth, I guess. Yes. Uh, hand, I'm not licking that. Which is like a kick or a pickup. And then a, a foot, which is it's almost universally kick. And then one of the first things you're asked to do is just kick open a door. Yeah, and just kick the door open. Like when you when you have to you have to get inside like a trailer and I'm like, oh, it's going to be this big puzzle area because it, it's like the first time it kicks you loose to like, here's the three puzzles to advance the story. One mm-hmm. of them is get into this guy's trailer. And all you have to do is just kick down the door and you're basically done. And yeah, you, you knock on the door you kick it in there's a couple things you grab in there i think you grab the meat from the fridge mm-hmm. and then you also go down into the thing down below that's actually one thing that i don't like about that puzzle now that i'm rambling for a second is there's that like panel on the floor that you need to walk down to mm-hmm. go into the elevator down below and i have i think with full throttle the one of the only criticisms that i will really level against full throttle is that there are occasionally puzzles that revolve around like spaces in the environment that aren't particularly clear like uh, i mean like we'll get to it maybe but when you have to find the rock to kick at the end to get into yeah, so, the corley motors thing that's fucking bullshit so the thing that helps in this in this re-release is if you hold shift it will highlight all interactable objects yes hint hint mode is very appreciated in this uh in this re-release um which is great because like i would use that for like a t- uh, telltale game so i just had it's on by default and i just assumed that it was part of the interface i didn't realize it was like added after the fact but that makes sense like looking back back um mm-hmm. as someone who didn't play this game until like two weeks ago uh but no the, the way that kicking down the door just immediately solidifies who ben is like it's a character with very few words and very br- blunt actions that get results done um and used a great effect to the point where like when the plot requires you to do venture game solutions the fact that it is ben like lumbering around doing them is like comedy in and of itself like when you're like releasing a bunch of bunnies into a minefield. I was or... going to say the the bunnies is the one that probably everybody thinks about. Yeah. Or just like also him driving the remote control car around yeah. is just really I, I think like him in disguise in like like Robin Hooded up in an asbestos suit running around on fire is also really good. Uh, and uh, all that stuff speaks to like a great economy of, of character description. Like this is a film or a, a game that's predicated on like a romance, a burgeoning romance between two characters who exchange like maybe a hundred words with each other. They don't. <laughs> Maureen and uh, and Ben don't don't chat a lot. And most of the time it's like, oh, hey, do you like motorcycles? And the answer is yes, we both like motorcycles. Or, yes, I love motorcycles. I love them yes. more than anything. <laughs> yes, they do. They love... That's their first passion. Yeah. Everything else is secondary, which but is cool. That that understatement and, like, the the sense of, like, two characters who are into each other, but neither of them would be able to express it. And a plot that kind of underlines that by allowing them to drift together and then drift apart because of the forces around them, I, I think speaks to, like, a like an understanding of, like, pulling from cinema in a way that... The same way Grim Fandango does, but where Grim Fandango feels like... A Casablanca style throwback noir, uh, full throttle ends up feeling like much more modernistic. Like there's like shades of the graduate in its ending, but it's also like a Mad Max riff. Uh, there's there's certain parts of when I look at full throttle, and this will sound weird considering how wacky full throttle gets, there's some aspects of it that feel like a book. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that there's a very clear presentation, a very clear, like consistent tone that doesn't really get changed because of any really wacky mechanical shifts there's only a few times where this game tries to break from the established form it has at the start and those aren't as successful but they never feel entirely out of place Mm -hmm. things like fighting on the bike or things like that of course that's something you would do you're a biker and there's a a certain it's there in, in comparison at least to the grandeur of some of the other lucas games and early double fine games and things like that 
this one feels humble in a way that feels kind of um, novel, literally, in, in some ways. Mm. It also is, I feel like that res- like restraint in its scope uh, leaves it feeling really evocative. Uh, for some reason, even though it opens with like a hover car, it took me probably a good like two hours into the game to realize, oh, this game takes place in the future. And I just, yeah, it's and, like, and a, f- a future with like weird, horrible stuff that's implied, but also like everybody's still kind of down with it. Yeah. Roving biker gangs, the last vestiges of like motorized vehicles and like where everyone's flying spaceships across the desert. Yeah. So this game literally has, um, has like Tusken Raiders in it, mm-hmm. basically. Tuscan Raiders who worship the ghost of an old evil Knievel type character, which is fun. Yeah. And you have to fight them using the worst battle mechanics in any game. Oh, do you want to do you want to just hit that and talk about it? Because it, it is it's terrible. It it's, is. It's awful. It, it is terrible. It's, it's one of those things where like, I think by and large, this game is actually super playable today. I'm, I was amazed at how straightforward it all is, except for the part where you have to do all the motorcycle battling for like a half an hour to get. And it's just the most arbitrary use X item to defeat defeat a person. But you're just kind of rubbing against a character and not sure if what you're doing is working. And I lost a bunch even when I had the right combination for no good reason. And it's really, really hard to tell sometimes what item is the one that you require, right? So there's the weird spacing thing, and you're right that it is kind of arbitrary item use, but it's also like sometimes you have multiple items that would potentially fulfill a use, but it's like, no, you have to hit this person with the plank of wood. No, you really should be using, what is it, uh, the fertilizer on this person, throw it in their face or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, this, I mean... I don't want to say that this is something that happens in a lot of things that Tim Schafer does, but I, I, gosh, I almost kind of do because there are, there are moments in almost every one of these adventure games that reaches a point where you're just like, oh, wow, this could have been much more direct. And I think this even extends to like Broken Age, where we get a lot of puzzles that, at least with Broken Age, are like, oh, these characters need to help each other. This person has to do something that they would have no earthly means of knowing in full throttle it's more like oh ben has to apply this knowledge that seems really novel and kind of strange and esoteric but it's like ben probably would have just gone around on his bike kicking people instead of doing a weird item fetch quest mm-hmm. yeah you know, especially with like part of that battle is like throwing fertilizer in people's face that doesn't really seem like ben's style no and by that point like it's kind of like i said you can have like a you can have like a mace you can have like a flail Mm-hmm. Why, why would I not be hitting everybody with the flail? Especially oh, since the... when you're, you're given those weapons, you get that amazing shot of him like, standing really with it. That really great low-angle shot looking. A very nice hero shot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I did want to touch on, I because I played this, I was playing this for the first time, I played it in its traditional mode. Or like it's, uh, like it's a remastered version, like widescreen right. and illustrated. And in your review, you hit upon uh the aesthetics of the original and i'm playing through i'm like halfway through again that way like listening to the commentary because it has commentary and it's great yeah um and i wanted you to speak to that because i while i appreciate the like mishmash of stylings from the 95 version i almost universally prefer the way it looks now just as like a cohesive vision um but i know you disagree yeah i definitely fall on the other end of the spectrum for that and actually that kind of de- that kind of depends on on what game we're talking about so they have a similar remaster style for day of the tentacle which is a game that i think doesn't quite hold up necessarily as well as full throttle maybe mm. even though the puzzles are 
far more exciting. I haven't, I haven't played it yet, but I, I will at some point. Yeah, I think I think you'll like it, but it's definitely um, a little bit more cartoonish. And because of that, the kind of heavier stroked hand-painted style really works for that game because it it ends up feeling a lot more like you're watching a cartoon in a way that I really appreciate. With Full Throttle, I think my biggest problem with the remaster stuff is that the backgrounds in particular end up taking a, a larger amount of definite like they get more defined and they're like they're like clearer and for me that kind of ruins the idea that there's this much more expansive world full of like amazing amounts of open road and that's really esoteric and kind of in the eyes of the beholder but for me when i look at the pixel style i feel like there's a lot more implication to the game space than when i get the remastered version that's a little bit more specific and hand-drawn it's personal. I, I mean, I do say in my review, and, and people gave me crud for this, and, and maybe rightly so, maybe they're right. I do say that I don't necessarily know if the remastered graphics were even necessary, which isn't to say that I don't think that they can't be there, right? I think a lot of times when you say, oh, I don't know if this thing needs to exist, I think people are sometimes thinking that you're saying, oh, th this was a waste of time, they didn't, they shouldn't have done it at all. For me, I, it feels kind of superfluous, but I, I can acknowledge that other people will get value of it. For me personally, though, it it feels too clean for a, a game about like a weird open road apocalyptic biker tale. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't quite fit for me um, aesthetically. Uh, for me, it was much it was as much like the idea that this feels like a like an animation from the era that just happened to be. A thing you interacted with like right a, a part of that it has to do with like the voice cast where like mark hamill's the villain and just doing his joker voice basically uh, uh like there's this burger there's this very distinctive like they, these are actual voice actors in a time where i feel like that kind of quality of voice acting was uncommon for this kind of game sure. um even for lucas arts who like pride themselves on like really nice productions uh and because of that like as a visual cartoon i think like they just all gelled for me is like, oh, this is just what the thing looks like. And I wonder, do you think that like part of that is because you've you've probably experienced this before the remaster, right? I have. Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with like how you come to it? As I've like... thought about it. I've, I've, I've definitely thought about this. So there hasn't been like, so I love adventure games. There hasn't been a adventure game remaster that's come out that I haven't played before so like i have played day of the tentacle i have played the monkey island games i've played even the crummy monkey island games as we sort of established near the beginning of this and so I i'm careful or, or i try to be and and i wonder if maybe i'm not as careful as i should be because it is possible that i'm letting nostalgia color my perception of what i think the visual styles are achieving mm -hmm. and i am i'm not anti-nostalgia i think no 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 i'm not i'm not, like, I'm not I, implying I that it's like if you're saying i like it the way it was because that's how i played it i'm not even saying that's a bad thing i was just curious yeah if you think that's what no i mean from. i i've sat down and i've tried to wrestle with it and i don't know the answer i mean i have experienced all of these things before and i think that definitely plays a part into it mm -hmm. but i also really like the way the remaster of grim fandango looks so. yeah i mean grim fandango is feels like such a different thing because it's in 3d and because its scope is so like different in what it's trying to do than a game like this like yeah. grim is big and the pre-rendered backgrounds like and 3d models really like i feel like they suffer under the technology in which they were made a little bit yeah and having 
just like little touches like oh the lighting in this place looks better is mm -hmm. nice you don't necessarily have as drastic visual changes when you do a remaster of something like secret of monkey well secret of monkey island maybe a little bit more like the two visual styles are super distinct yeah uh, monkey and island's so different because yeah that, like everything's that remaster suddenly. that remaster is also kind of really ugly <laughs> like it's not i don't like that one even though like what they need to do in these games, let, let me establish this right now. They should let you mix, mix and match styles, but they fucking don't. I know, I agree. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand how you make a remaster of that and you don't say, well, you can play the original version, but you can have Dominic Armato voicing Guybrush, Guybrush Threewood. Isn't that available? I can't even say his name. Um, as I, far thought, as I thought you could I, get a voiced version of the original Monk Island, because I thought maybe, it was just voiced by default. But as... As far as I'm aware, for the remastered version, it's like you either turn on the remastered oh, it, stuff or you don't. It's been a long time since I played those, so or, I, I couldn't. Or excuse me, the, the special edition yes. version, because that was back when LucasArts was still actually mm -hmm. making those. The weird thing with me of those is like I objectively look at the remastered version. I'm like, this is very ugly art, but because I came to all this stuff really late and like Tales of Monkey Island existed and everything, like. The original version of that game doesn't look like what I envisioned Monkey Island to look like with all the realistic people, especially in the close-ups. Mm -hmm. uh, it just feels like very uh, incongruous. It's like someone took a realism pass over this cartoon game, and I don't know why they did it that way, even though that's how it originally looked. So yeah, no, it's, I'm it's always the really opposite. <laughs> I'm always really torn with the aesthetic on that because I, you know, like both of them look wrong in different ways. Um, the thing with Full Throttle is like the original game totally does look fine and totally does play fine. Uh, like they could have done nothing and it would have been fine. Like I appreciate the widescreen. I think most of all. Um, oh yeah, of course. Uh, and they changed a few of, like, the lighting cues in Full Throttle specifically to make one puzzle way easier, at least. Uh, because w w the thing where you, like, assault the water tower and you touch the ladder and the cops come, the hiding space is lit differently in the remaster version versus the original to highlight yeah, that weird. there's a space to hide back there. You have to just kind of go off to the left otherwise and, and hope that you're kind of clicking vaguely where you need to go. Mm-hmm. They learned something in the 20 years since this game came out. They did. They learned They learned something. And the other thing they learned is that if they re-release a game, they can they can make money off the same game again. I mean, I appreciate have, being able to buy these games now and have them play. No, I do too. Uh, I do too. I'm being, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, certainly. I am somebody who... Some people... Gosh, I make it sound like I'm being really defensive and I don't mean it. I think when you say maybe a remaster isn't necessary people misconstrue that and will say like well now people can play it and yes that's that's exactly the thing i want always i mm -hmm. in my ideal world games are free and pirated and like sold to people without money like and by that i mean you just give them to them because that's yeah. what selling things to people without money means my my mouth is moving faster than my brain oh that's all right <laughs> and and like of course i want these games to be hit by other people but i'm I'm definitely somebody who falls into the camp of, like, I get really cagey and really uncomfortable once, like, art is changed afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, weird thing to jump into. I appreciate the fact that Bioware did a fix for Mass Effect 3. That ending was terrible. I really wish they didn't do the fix. Um, it's weird to have those two positions. So, like, I, in the same way that I, like, I really love the fact that there are remastered versions of the adventure games that have been coming out pretty consistently for the last couple of years now. Um, maybe even every six month, months or so, we're getting a new remaster of, like, some really beloved titles. But I'm also somebody who really doesn't want 
much of it to be changed. It, it's been a battle. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least for these, like the LucasArts one or the uh, Double Fine ones are very like you can just play the version that existed. Right. Yeah. And like, it's great to have those on sale again. Like, I'd be fine if they were releasing these games like Digital Eclipse style where you just made a nice version that it runs on a modern machine without too much trouble and put it out right. again. Uh, put it on a console, you know, just make the changes for that. But I mean, I also appreciate like commentary and a bunch of concept art and adding like the new illustrations, the ways in which like these games are brought into almost like a new double fine house style, I think is really interesting. Um, now that they're essentially out of Tim Schafer games to remaster, I curious if you think they'll like do this with other LucasArts games, or do you think they'd maybe make new games in the style? I, I think you could, I think when, you know, when double fine adventure did as well as it did when broken age um, did as well as it did, there's definitely demand for it. We see people wanting demand for all sorts of older games. Like I have to go, I need to play, uh, Tides of Numenera, right? Yeah. Because people just want to have games of a certain style and major studios um, or major publishers aren't really bringing those things out. I think the fact that people have been so eager for these remasters might lead to the creation of more point-and-click games, and we've had this happen from other people too, so Ron Gilbert just put out Thimbleweed Park, mm -hmm. which is really, really good. Thimbleweed Park's very good. And I think... I think we'll probably get some more people who, who get into it. We've had other games that have done it too, Mechanarium and, and other titles. Oh, yeah. So so I think maybe there might be original stuff. I think a lot of people will, now that we know that there's more people who really want remasters and bringing back old titles, I think the thing that is in everyone's gut is getting better versions or or somehow refixed up, re-spruced, re re- uh, reshuffled versions of some of the more direct LucasArts properties, which I suppose now are Disney properties. So Indiana Jones. I, I can you can you buy like Rebel Assault and all those things? You probably can. But if you can't, then maybe there's a bundle for like that shit. Too. I don't know if Rebel Assault it's uh, I, itself. I, most of those games are on Steam and GOG at this point. Yeah, I have to I've imagine been, I've been on playing GOG. through. I've been playing through uh, the Calcatarn games slowly this year. So heck yeah, very cool. But so I think that maybe that's one of the ways that things could go. Going to projects that were kind of tangential to all of this mm -hmm. and doing what we can. Also, Loom. I would love her. Loom is the one that needs it. People want Loom. Loom is very interesting. I don't know where I entirely fall on the spectrum of like, hey, how's Loom? Um, it's definitely worth experiencing. It does yeah. some very it, cool stuff with how you actually solve puzzles and navigate that world. Mm -hmm. I, I think some people, again, like some people probably remember that a little too fondly than how it actually played. Yeah. But that that's the one now, too. I bet you you're going to get just tons and tons of people who are like, where, when do we get Loom? Ask me about Loom. But but just like Full Throttle, I think Loom is almost a game that would hit an audience better now when the expectations for what games are a little different than it did in the era. Because that... like Loom is can be a, like an obtuse game sometimes, and I'm not like the hugest fan of it. I haven't played it in quite a few years, but uh, it's like a much it's like a simpler adventure game compared to what was out in the era. It's tricky. I would be interested to see how people react to Loom now, if only because people reacted so poorly to Loom when it came out. Mm -hmm. Like, there were a lot of people who had strong feelings about that game that that were pushing back against it because it didn't necessarily feel 
as traditional, right? Like there were things, I think it was in like Space Quest 7 or something, right? Where you can find a copy of Loom in the bargain bin of like an intergalactic space video game store, right? Like that's the type of situation we were looking at with Loom back then. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see how people look at it now. I also have to imagine that not as many, like if you're specifically going to play Loom, you probably are somebody who's going to enjoy Loom anyway, or any of these remasters, like Full Throttle. I, like, I don't, I think there's something to be said for like hitting a new audience. Like I'm someone who didn't, I, my first adventure game was the Shiva, which was like a Wajidai game from uh, yeah. like 2007 or something. Sure. And like, I never grew up with this because I, I never had a PC growing up. So I never grew up with any of these and I've only come to them after the fact. And usually like, uh, mostly modern adventure games, like the adventure game studio set and everything like that. So mm-hmm. for me, like games like Loom are like a godsend because it goes back into a time where like these games, like I try to go back and play Sierra games and they're just like not parsable to me as like someone who enjoys adventure games as they are in the modern era because they don't play yes. anything like that anymore. They're um, really, they're really rough. They're really mm-hmm. like they, you either play by Sierra games rules or Sierra games will beat you up and like take all your lunch money and then kill your parents like they're yeah. they're really rough and even if you discount the fact that they're like rough like those games operate on entirely different sensibilities though most of the famous sierra games have a score like the idea that an adventure game needs like points and a score that you're telling up is i don't even understand where that comes well, i know where it comes from like academically but like emotionally i don't understand where that belongs in this genre and that's just because of my viewpoint looking back as someone who came to this entirely as like a neophyte yeah i don't I've never really understood it entirely. I think it's, I think it most, I mean, we, we kind of know where the vestiges of that comes from. I also think it's just a way to incentivize players to like keep going. Like, mm. oh, hey, no, the crocodile ate you this time. Or like Graham got, Graham, don't poke that bear. Like, yep. <laughs> then Graham just gets killed by a bear and you're like, well, fuck, I guess I won't poke the bear and I'll get a higher score next time. Hmm. But uh, because of that, like games like Loom, I was never around for Loom being a joke. I was only around for Loom being like this revolutionary game in a genre. Yes. So I only think of it in that context and like the joke in Monkey Island. That's all I've ever known it as. So I think if you bring a game like that out now or like a game like Full Throttle, it hits people who don't have the context of, oh, Full Throttle was derided for by some people because it was easy and six hours long. And you just have people who like their favorite game is probably like four hours long. Yeah, I, I, and I think we're getting more comfortable with the idea of games as really consumable. Like, I think the more that we've had mobile gaming and everything, particular, like the idea of just sitting down quickly while you're on a train or something and playing an adventure game, like, go for it. Mm-hmm. I think for a while, I mean, it's a, it's a push and pull, right? Plenty of people still believe that you need to have mounds and mounds and mounds of content, right? But a game like Full Throttle proves that you don't. You can have a really small, tight experience that you can play in the time that it takes you to go so far on a plane or over the course of a weekend or something. It can just be kind of a short experience. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's almost it. Unless you had anything else to say about Full Throttle specifically. No, I mean, I. so the thing I like about Full Throttle mostly is that it feels very full of character mm-hmm. um which sounds like it shouldn't be something that should differentiate it from other adventure games of the time or any other one that like tim schaefer or LucasArts have done certainly grim fandango has plenty of character but it's also full of characters right and those are two different things i think that 
Full Throttle feels really grounded because its protagonist is pretty stark and really direct. I think I think the ending of Full Throttle is amazing. Yeah, no. I think the, I think I think the ending of Full Throttle like so let's get into that for a second so. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I've been kind of tepid and wishy-washy maybe about some of the stuff in Full Throttle, but that ending is great. It is and it and you can see where that ending colors some of the stuff going into Brutal Legend, right? Because mm-hmm. in Brutal Legend the idea is like, oh yeah, well, hey, um if a roadie is doing his job right, you won't even know he was there at all. Mm-hmm. And Ben's story is very prototypical that, in the mm-hmm. sense like, he is passing through, he is on the road, on his journey, he gets caught up in something. What he's, what does he do afterwards? Does he sit down with the girl and, like, shack up? No, of, of course not. He is passing through. He keeps on going, right? So, hey, get in the car, say, talk for a bit, pan off camera, show Maureen, and then, oh, fuck, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And that and it, and it makes sense and it works so well and it's played so well it's amazing. And as much as like like Ben's like solemn uh, realization that they're not going to work out at all is there like Mo picking up the phone and continuing to talk after she realizes Ben is gone is as much of that also. Um, yeah. One of uh, the thing that uh, I was taken with as I finished that game is uh, it reminded me of the ending of Firewatch and I know that they're big fans of this game in particular uh, uh, and thinking of that as like the story about adults in like a weird adult situation that do the adult thing that isn't like neat or a narratively comfortable and thinking of this game and how people like thinking of this game as coming out in 95 and people responded so poorly to the ending of a game like firewatch is like it's amazing that a game like this existed and was incredibly popular no because we've been doing all that sort of stuff forever and the mm-hmm. difference is that the people who were focused on sitting down and playing adventure games and everything like that like it's so it's so hard to quantify and explain how different the ecosystem of the mid 90s computer gaming scene felt mm-hmm. because everything was much more self-contained right this is before you're cruising around on the internet before you can form major collectives of people who have strong feelings about games it's just a bunch of people playing Certainly you have people who were snobby about it. That's something that happens in games entirely. But for me, when I look back at that time frame, gaming felt very solitary. Mm-hmm. In the, At least PC gaming felt very solitary in the sense that you often went there and got drawn into worlds that were very distinct and very deep and expansive in a way that like playing on a console was always more communal because you were like in front of a television or like playing Mario Kart with your friend who was coming over after school or something. PC gaming felt very solitary. And we've been doing narratives that also reflect that feeling of not loneliness, but um, of being kind of singular, right? So like Ben feels very singular in the same way that many characters in those games of that time kind of felt really singular and for ben's journey to come to the right conclusion he he kind of needs to go and do his own thing and maureen needs to do her own thing and yet now because of the way that games are kind of much more this really wild group phenomenon this immense cultural touchstone that when you have something that doesn't really conform with the modern expectation of something really bombastic or really rewarding to the player 
people push against that. So they push against Firewatch because the ending to the Firewatch is that there's no real ending to Firewatch. And the ending to Full Throttle is that there's not really an ending to Full Throttle. Things stop, right? Like the action kind of concludes, but that story like doesn't really end. It just kind of goes on without us. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I, I don't have anything to add to that. I, that was yeah, a good point. <laughs> That's why course. I had you on. <laughs> people people should play Full Throttle. It's very, very good. Yeah, no, I uh, I loved it. Uh, I was amazed at how much I, like, it just slotted into, like, my interest set. And I like the aesthetic. And I think its characters are really interesting. And I don't know. And because it was so frictionless, I just, like, a thing that I, like, let wash over me over, like, three days. And I was done. And it was great. Uh, yeah, of course. Um. So, as we uh, leave, let people know where to find you. Oh, cool. So, you can find me uh, personally on Twitter. Sorry, my throat's all funny all of a sudden. Oh, that's all right. At uh, TransGamerThink. And then you can also find me at this wonderful tiny website that no one's ever heard of called Kotaku.com. What's that? It is it is uh, the gamer's guide, as as we are apparently branded. We it is it is a video game news site slash blog. Remember the blog part because it's not all news. Um, although the news is super important. I, the, come the on, blog, guys. The blog is better than the news. I'm just gonna but say. But hey, like I, I can I can I can sit down and well I, I like it both. But I can sit down and I can be like, hey, Fire Emblem, be, stop being weird. And then I can also be like. Today, uh, Call of Duty announced that uh, you know women characters are going to be in multiplayer, right? You can have both of those two things, and that's that's one of the things I like about Kotaku.com, and you should totally read it, because we get to do all sorts of things, and we do it really, really well. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on, and uh, people should go play Full Throttle and read Kotaku. Uh, do both. Read your review of Full Throttle. Yeah, you could. This month is Mist, which is a 1993 uh, Macintosh adventure game created by Cyan Inc. Uh, this is one of the most famous PC games of all time, especially of the early 90s. Uh, Mist was the best-selling PC game of all time until The Sims uh, launched and exceeded its sales in 2002. Uh, record held for nine years. Mist is a game that I was in love with as a child and my love continues to this day, uh, even though it has changed quite a bit. Um, Mist is a first-person adventure game. Uh, in the Macintosh style, you are clicking through static screens. Um, 
unlike mod most adventure games of this time there isn't really an inventory there is no fail state when you could like mess up puzzles or get killed or anything instead you are navigating an island where you are solving a mystery and manipulating objects in the environment and sometimes viewing uh messages in full motion video because quicktime was launched during the development of this game and was a new technology they used for this video game that's how old this is uh i like missed a lot Jackson and Destiny have never played Mist. I would like them to take the floor and tell me what it is like to play Mist in 2017 for the first time. Inscrutable. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and it's not fun because I can't. I I can't seem to turn to the left. Yep. I tried. I tried, but I I. So my uh, experience with Mist was like sitting down with it for an hour making no progress just clicking on things going all across the island like oh what does this do i have no fucking clue oh what does this do i have no fucking clue uh like maybe i'll do one thing like a turn on the marker switches i'm like ah now the marker switches are on oh okay uh all right now i'm reading these books he wants the blue pages he wants the red pages where are the fucking pages who knows um and then i like use a guide and i've stumbled through and i'm like how the fuck was i meant to like figure out that logical leap and then I load up your Let's Play of it, which is, uh, like, I'm not just plugging that just because. I'm sure if you watched anyone who, like, understands the game, just walk through the logic calmly. I suddenly, like, get it. And I'm so mad that I couldn't be that person. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, right, yeah, no, of course. You just take a second. You go, I need that. And then that will tell me that. And that will tell me that. It just seems so, so well designed and perfect. And such a, like, cool experience of going through this island and figuring out this journey. And the story is really cool. And the atmosphere is really cool. But then when I actually played it it wasn't that at all but now that i've watched you play it and i've fumbled through it with a fucking guide uh like bashing my head against it and getting frustrated i feel like i'm finally ready to play mist which sucks <laughs> but you know uh so it's, it's, it's a weird one i recognize a lot of really cool things about it i think it's an excellent game in many respects but i was not able to get into it without a lot of help to the point where it's now too late to get into it but i would like to try or at least watch let's plays of the sequels and find out what goes on in future stories because i think the story's pretty cool i will eventually do i'll eventually do let's plays of the sequels so well, i will definitely watch them yep uh just there's a thousand adventure games in the world uh the thing that's interesting to me about mist so when I was a child, I first heard of this game through the nightly news, uh, way back probably in 93 itself, where there was like this segment on, this game is sweeping the nation, and it's a game that adults play and women play, and isn't that weird? It uses this new CD-ROM technology to be the most graphically advanced game ever created, and it's not like that Doom, which corrupts kids, it's actually like a thoughtful game that's really interesting and adult. And uh, as someone who grew up with only console games, the allure of Mist was real. And uh, I had a friend who had a PC and his he had Mist for some reason, but hated it because he was like, it's like not even a real video game. You just like you just click on stuff and stuff happens. And I don't know, it's dumb. Uh, and I would always try to coax time to play Mist on his computer while he was watching TV or something. Um, and eventually I got a PC and played it myself and uh muddled through over the course of like a summer when I was probably like 15 or something. Um, but for me, Mist has always been like the game that is what video games for adults represented. Uh, so coming back to it this time was really weird because I've played a lot of like room escape games. I, we did the three room games, which are heavily inspired by Mist. Uh, yes. 
And so going back to Mist, like knowing the one thing I remembered is kind of how the island works is like the trick of, oh, you need to turn on the marker switches to rotate the main tower to point to the ages. Once you know that, the rest of Mist is actually super easy, in my opinion. Like every puzzle, is, the, the whole thing with Mist is they were like, people don't actually like adventure game puzzles. We, they like being able to solve things logically. So they designed like non puzzles. Like they wanted everything to basically be like, Oh, your fuse box blew in your house and you need to like flip the circuit breakers. Uh, and that's like their guiding principle of the design. Everything needs to be a very concrete device or mechanism that you understand as just like a person who can fiddle with something and see the rules and get the result on the other side, which is why the game is without an inventory and without like weird combining lock and key puzzles. Everything is just, here are a bunch of symbols. Now, you know, you need to hit three of those symbols, hit the three symbols and a thing's going to happen. Um, and those sorts of like, like two-step logical uh, constructs are like what kind of defines Mist to me. Mist is a game about like figuring out how like a giant clock works more than it is about like being more clever than the game designers. And that's the stuff that like I think of the room a lot, where it's like, oh, you need to just fiddle with all of the legs on this chair until one of them turns. You're like, oh, that thing turns. And we talked about how obtuse that can be. And I think Mist, because of its simplification, because the only things you can actually interact with in the game are things that are necessary for solving puzzles or giving you uh, inter like interesting parts of the world. There isn't a lot of like dead ends in Mist because uh, there just isn't enough interaction points for there to be dead ends in Mist because everything required so much effort to create, uh, which to me made it for a game that I kind of just like blazed through. Like uh, Jackson plugged the Let's Play and it's it's a good. I think I like I enjoyed playing it, but uh, it's like I sat down and beat that game in like two days and didn't break a sweat doing it. It was weird uh, for someone who like I held that game up as like, oh, we need to like make sure we get on this early because it's going to take a long time because I remember this game being really hard and I just didn't find it that way anymore. And I think that speaks to like where my interest set with games is at this point. But um, watching you both find it inscrutable has been disheartening. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually think it's necessary i think that they make choices which make it feel inscrutable to the point where there's a hump and you can't get over the to the place where it's understandable without a lot of help um specifically it's the objective of the game when i was playing it it took me a long while to realize what the objective actually was like you know you have to find the blue pages and the red pages but i didn't realize that was the main thing like i'm in the first world and i'm doing these puzzles and i like find a page but i don't realize the only thing i'm meaning to do is find these pages i think if they were very specific about all you need to do is go to worlds and find pages then i would have been a bit better but for me i was like okay what do I, like every time you land in a new age it's a new feeling of overwhelming like n nothing like of like a void of knowledge like it's just i'm lost again um i think it was like for me it was landing in uh the mechanical age and like not knowing what to do like trying to rotate the thing and not knowing how like just so much stuff that just didn't make any any sense and then like <laughs> you just blaze through it and like just the logic hits you and i feel kind of stupid for not being able to like instantly make those connections um i think a part of it is also uh you're talking about to me off cast about the let's play process of like mm. talking out loud through the logic of the puzzles um and i think i'd have done a lot better at this game uh, or people in general uh my if they, they they approach it with someone else like i know lots of people have played the witness um 
with someone else like just talking through puzzles and that kind of communication and dual approach uh it like it seems like a game designed for that for that yeah uh i mean a lot of people who liked adventure games in the 90s talk very fondly about memories of like them and their sibling huddled around a computer discussing the thing for like a month like that's what they did over the summer is just like pick at these puzzles uh and i think that process of trying to figure out what the game is asking you and running through your options is like adventure games are about like making that a process that you can like choose to do like you know the process to formally like acquire that knowledge and skill and uh, talking that out and talking with another person definitely makes that easier to like suss out like at this point i feel like i could just go into adventure game without recording it and like do that work silently but it definitely helps to me that i am talking through my process every time yeah, and as someone who hasn't played that many adventure games, just having to do that in my head all the time, it's, it's like it hurts my brain. Like, having that process just be a thing that has to be going on and not something, like, externalized uh, or enjoyable in and of itself definitely sucks. Um, mm. Like, there exists a version of me that can get really into adventure games, I think, but uh, it's not right now and not in the situation I'm in and not in, like, the approach I take. Uh Maybe one day. Uh, like, I like a lot of them. I really like Grim Fandango, but I used a guide for that. Like, actually going through adventure game puzzles isn't a thing I've been able to really crack into yet. One day. One day. Yeah, no, I know it's... Des- uh, oh, go ahead. You go. Sorry. I-, I was going to say, I know Destiny and you played it together for a bit. Like, I want to hear Destiny's thoughts on that. We had to because I could not move around in that game. Um, uh, one, of the things is- you, you, one of the things you said to me is you were surprised it wasn't, like, a WASD game. And, uh, like, I thought, because I know that you've played a lot of, like, browser games, and, like, before we got together, you're like, yeah, I, I've played, like, Room Escape games, and I enjoy that stuff, and so I assumed those skills would map pretty cleanly to this, because it's basically just, a, like, those Room Escape, like, Flash games, first person, mm-hmm. are and entirely just And I have played a lot of those, but since I didn't know what Mist was going in, I just was really surprised, and I found exploration really disorienting. And since you're not sure which direction to go into at first, like, I don't know, after you do the markers, I just, I don't know, like, I didn't know what to do, and clicking around was more frustrating than it was exciting. I don't know. I feel bad, though, because, yeah, with the uh, room escape, it's like, you're limited to a smaller space and this is an entire island. So it was just, it was kind of overwhelming for me. So watching, like playing it with you, uh, since you kind of knew where everything was, it was just kind of like, Oh, how did people figure this did, out? But I mean, like I was, I was like talking through my thought process as we went through, like, didn't that, did that help like elucidate how you would go through those problem solving steps? Yeah, maybe until the end with all the weird sounds. I don't think I would have figured that out if I well, played that by myself. Uh, I mean, I was talking to Jackson before we cast, but uh, of the four ages, the Selenitic Age, which is the one you get when you go in the spaceship, is maybe the most infuriating bullshit in the entire game. It's the most obtuse puzzle that like has the most abstraction layers and requires you to... like. It's just fiddly in a way that the rest of the puzzles I don't think in that game are particularly are. Um and uh, like for me it's like it's the it's not just any one of the puzzles it's like the trio of you need to match slider sounds to keyboard sounds to activate the spaceship which is very fiddly because the switches on the spaceship uh they're like sliders that have like 
they have so many discrete options that you can put the slider on. It's very easy to overshoot your goal and not be able to really tell whether or not you're in the right place for that. And then you get on the island and you have to point like a big rotating directional microphone at these like sound stations around the island. And that is also really fiddly because it's very easy to overshoot because the minute you hold down the rotation, it starts like going by like 20 degrees every second. And it's just too fast to like nail down. So you stand there like clicking for five minutes to like zero something in. And that's not very fun. Mm -hmm. And then you get the abstract maze uh, underground tunnel system, which is very weird expressly in because it's like sound guided which direction you have to go but it requires you to remember sounds from another age and it's the only part of the game that's like cross age like skill set linking because so much of the ages are like discrete puzzles but if you go to the selenitic age before the mechanical age i don't know how you're supposed to solve that puzzle yep there's, no, yeah. there's literally no way it doesn't yeah. make any I mean, sense. so the thing that, like, you can't go the wrong direction in the maze, so you would trial and error out what the sounds are telling you eventually, I guess, but that's not, that sounds so not the way you're supposed to do it, especially when the key is there in the other age. It's just weird that that exists because none of the other parts of the game are built around that sort of, like, very entangled knowledge. And I don't think it, like, it. the game suffers for having that be one of its key puzzles, I think. Yep. It's like the one time in Broken Age where the only time you need to like use knowledge the other player character has to solve a puzzle that you can only get a specific way. Like It's very weird. Yeah, uh, that sort of um, like linked puzzle solving is the kind of stuff that I feel like is more... like I associate with games that came in the wake of Myst. Like, you think of games like The Witness where so much of the puzzle solving is like understanding how two disparate pieces of the island could connect together to create like a broader bigger puzzle um but that game is built on like the mystery box of there are meta puzzles on top of meta puzzles where like you have to do that stuff like it encourages that sort of thinking and mist so far has been like you rotate the box until a thing happens and then you get what's in the box and it's very straightforward uh and so having that be like basically one of the like final challenges in my playthrough and otherwise like a seemingly insurmountable challenge unless you've already been through one of the other ages uh just seems to like go like undermine the kind of thinking that the game inspires in people at least to me like it it just doesn't belong in the world that they're creating Mm -hmm. you think of like one of the uh good examples is the post first ending room three stuff where like the game suddenly opens up and becomes this weird meta puzzle solving thing that we both complained about because the game isn't about that <laughs> stuff at all. Yeah, no, just suddenly, hey, here's what the video game is now. Go do the like none of the other. Oh man, yeah. I mean, like when I talk about Mist, um, I think, oh, I would really enjoy one of these games if it made all the like was approach things slightly differently. It was like the, it's the room, it's the room too. Like, yeah, <laughs> the, the game, the game that is these ideas and all the things because the stuff that I really like about Mist is. Um, the like tangible nature of the logic and the puzzles in the world like you see a thing and you know oh i need to do this and this isn't just click a button it's i need to flick this lever to do this thing to open this door and all of that stuff is like the the room is that part of mist without any, like it's not really the story stuff it's not really uh the like more abstract parts it's very tangible um and so it's all of the things i like about it in another game uh yeah I think in terms of other post-Miss games, like you bring up The Witness, I think having played Miss, it is hilarious how much those games were talked about as like... People before The Witness came out talked about it as a spiritual Miss successor, which is hilarious in how untrue it is. 
I mean, the broad strokes are very there. Like you're in, you're on an island. You're solving puzzles. You're opening up new gates, basically. Like that's all. Like in like the very structuralist idea of like progression. That's what Mist is, and oh, that's yeah, what the no. witness is. But philosophically, and like what you are doing, and how they approach puzzles as an idea, is so different. Yeah. Uh, like very rarely in the witness do you actually change something in the island. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few times where like you make a gate open or you go across a bridge that you've rotated using a puzzle thing but it's usually about like changes in perspective rather than actual tangible changes whereas mist is all about like you see the the time and you think okay where is there where i have seen a time well there's that clock i can move so yeah I move that clock to that time then i can make the time and then i do this and then and then like you have to uh you know, uh, put that number in to open uh, the mechanical age, and all that stuff is really cool. But then there's always, or usually, an added bit of bullshit, which is uh, like, like in the entrance to the Selenic Age, where you do the um, uh, like piano thing. But in that case, it's a puzzle that is broken deliberately. Like you have to make the numbers two, two, one align. You can only move the top uh, two, like displays of numbers rotate or the bottom two rotate and there's no way to make it happen in the amount of turns you have without uh realizing that if you hold a lever you can make it so the middle one turns on its own so like it presents you the logic of a puzzle and then breaks that logic in the solution with like a world thing and i understand why that's cool but i think it actually completely sucks and drains the momentum out and there's a lot of things like that that later games have sanded down that have allowed me to get into them more yeah um the thing that's interesting especially like thinking about this genre is the the like they sanded down a lot of those edges but they also added much more abstract puzzles like there's a lot more like here's a weird power grid where you have to press some buttons and stuff and what i like about mist is every puzzle is a very concrete object in the world that you are manipulating. like you don't go up to a computer and have to like solve pipe dream to get anything done yeah <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Uh, and like that sort of very hands-on, everything is a very bespoke object approach is uh, like really interesting to me, and I like that. I like that a lot, and it's a thing I think uh, these games have really gotten away from, probably because it's just really hard to keep thinking up new objects to do that with, uh, and giving people a very discrete puzzle. Like one of the reasons the that people like talk about mist is like this really inaccessible game and like even if people didn't like the witness they found it like oh I, I, there's a lot of momentum to keep going is because you immediately know what a puzzle is it's a giant computer board you go up to and you trace a line on and that's all you have to do that's all it ever asks of you um mm-hmm. so you know immediately what the stakes are in a way that we're like there's objects in mist where you don't understand what the stakes are uh, with the thing you're manipulating until you do it yeah. yeah that makes that's a good way to put it uh yeah no like like even though no one would have done this because of times have changed, uh, like no one would argue the witness isn't a game because it's like here's the game the second you start the game. Uh, whereas I think, like we both went back and looked at some of the hilarious 1994 Miss discourse, um, where like people would argue that it is or isn't a game. Uh, some people are saying that like it actually proves that games can be art. Like all the stuff that happens and has always happened and will continue to happen happened here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think a big, a huge part of that is that like even though it is just an it's just an adventure game. There's no difference between it and like Monkey Island in terms of a thing. You, like you solve puzzles to make progress. It is the same idea, but because uh, 
the idea of like solving a puzzle isn't like it's always just you progress further but that's there's never like it's very bad at communicating to you what is a puzzle and what is a solution because it's all just things even when you beat the game you can still just walk around the island the credits only roll when you quit and i think yeah. that like presenting the actual part of the game so uh, matter of factly is probably a reason a lot of people bumped off of it especially like so- gamers I think I think a lot of that has to do with the way that they assume people were, would digest the game. Like this is this was a game meant to be for like an older market, a PC gamer market that kind of like plays at games for like a like plays at games for like three months at a time. Like it's a puzzle box to be like explored more than it is a game to be beaten. Um, and while I think that's a dichotomy that existed in '94, I think like that idea has mostly gone away as like games has become a much more codified culture where like you beat a game you go to how long to beat you see how it is you're like okay that's 10 hours i can get that done this week and then you get it done yeah uh whereas i mean and like we we try to fight against that even though we do it all the time uh whereas mist is like a game where like this is maybe someone's only video game that they played like there's pre-phone games pre-casual games like you have a mac you use it for like writing papers and you have this game sometimes you load up and you explore and it's weird and you don't really like know what the end goal is but it's a world that you can go into in your screen and that's crazy Mm -hmm. um and that idea of what video games are has kind of fallen away by the wayside and even at the time they're like the resistance that people were art that who were already in the culture who were busy playing doom and like linked to the past had to mist was really profound and is still exists like you look at uh, you can w- listen to Jeff Gersman talk about Mist. There's a giant bomb quick look of Mist remaster, uh, Mist real Mist, which is a 3D remake remaster that came out like three or four years ago. And the quick look is just him grumping for 40 minutes. Uh, or you can read Rock Paper Shotguns. Uh, what's that guy's name? John Walker. John Walker. Yes. Yes. Who every time he can take a dig at Mist for being awful, he will do it. Uh, and I- that's that sort of gamer discourse has existed when that game came out and has never gone away. Yeah, no, like you look at those, and it's the the resentment a lot of folks have towards Mist is so pointed, um, and like I I I see it and I'm like that's disgusting, that's shitty, fuck off. Uh, and I but I, I try to think about is there anything like that we have that will like seem like that in a few de- decades. Mm. Uh, where like we're all still yelling about Bioshock Infinite's being terrible, but I guess no one's gonna fucking hold up Bioshock Infinite in I have to beat this now. Shit, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've already done it. Um, I mean, I no think one's... I think you look at the ways people uh, like had resistance to games like Minecraft when they first came out, or all of those yes. like open-ended construction games where you're like, I want my video game. Like I don't understand where I gotta make my own fun and build stuff, yeah, and that's not what open. I want of a video game. Yeah. But. Like, you look at Minecraft, which is a very similar game to Mist and how the uh, games pressed immediately responded to it with, like, this confusion and disdain. Uh, mm-hmm. But everyone's realized what it is and has come around in it. Like, no one's holding those grudges. And I don't know what makes the Mist thing stick so around. I don't know if it's just I've... an era where no one had to let go. Well, it was an era where no one had to let go. And it was also an era where, like, the people who were still around at the time, a lot of them didn't have, like, having a computer was a rare thing in 1993. Mm-hmm. Like, so much of that game was, like, here is a thing that could only happen because of this new technology, like CD-ROM technology and the multimedia presentation. And, th- like, the people who 
could have accessed that when it came out are pro- it's like a very rare set like this was this was the VR game of its day in a lot of ways right where like you had to have a very expensive machine that most people didn't own that didn't really do a whole lot for you if you played video games to play the video game uh and by the time people did get around to like everyone has like a PC and it's like 1997 the giant wave of bad fmv games that came in the wake of mist was everywhere mm-hmm. there were there were ten thousand of these games you could buy for three dollars a piece at staples and they were all bad i, I guess uh, the thing that uh like has been lost is the like immediate influence of mist and what like there's a lot of discussion about adventure games and how um uh, they like were killed in a way by Mist and what was set off by that, which is seems strange now because the actual long term narrative of adventure games has been fairly consistent with like some peaks of interest in mainstream, but like they still make them, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, like it's it was just very different looking at that genre in that space. I know you were gonna play a clip here. Yeah, I wanted to. Uh, so Heather was in segment two, and after we were done recording that, I asked her to. Talk, I asked, I, I, because our segment ended, if you've already listened to it, but our segment ended talking about the differences in PC versus console culture in the 90s. And then immediately I was like, okay, I want to ask you about Mist because that's what we're doing for Next Game Club. And she had this short statement that was so concise that I didn't even need to like record the rest of the follow up where we just talked about the stuff we've already been talking about. <laughs> I just have her statement, which is perfect and beautiful, as a lot of Heather's stuff is. So I'm going to play that now and uh, we can all listen. Um, all right. Oh, gosh. I haven't played Mist in a long time. My first point of contact with Mist was that my grandmother was playing it. My grandmother played Mist before I did. She also played Link to the Past before I did. She was very, very good at it. Mist, for me, felt, for a while, quintessentially adult and unknowable. It was kind of a game and a game world that was because it's missed this makes sense very removed and very intractable and kind of frozen in its own like weird crystallized time it's it's so hard to explain the way that i saw mist because i when i first saw mist i never really i didn't know what it was i was i was still pretty young and then going to play mist I think if Mist does one thing really, really well, and it's it's the thing that other games chase after constantly with Mist is Mist feels it's almost right there in the title. Mist feels mystical. Mist feels very much like you are uncovering something grander than you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to really talk about that. I can't sit back and even talk about spe- specific puzzles. It's been so long since I've played Mist. I just remember the mood of Mist. And I think when you get games like The Witness or something, which are very clearly trying to do some sort of version of Mist, where the thing that they focus on is like, here's this really intellectual space. I think they understand that at the core of Mist, the Mist Mist is a, is a space where you're feeling tons of stuff sometimes it's frustration but it, i don't i've never really thought of mist as like an intellectual space i've always thought of it as this really neat adult space that i got to play in finally so that's what i think of when i think of mist there we go that is good that is good that is very good stuff yep thanks uh, heather yeah uh i'm glad she could contribute that which capsulated a lot of my feelings about mist in 
uh, Heather's particularly emotional way that I could not ever do as concisely and well. That's why she gets paid the big bucks to write about video games. <laughs> um, Disclaimer, before... the video game big bucks do not represent real big bucks. <laughs> no. Uh, before, before we close this out, let's talk about Red and Blue Pages and yep. Cirrus and Agonar and all of the bullshit of the actual plot of Mist that you were like, oh, right, there's a story here. <laughs> uh, so, Jackson, tell me what the actual plot of Mist is. Okay. The actual plot of Mist is you are the stranger that, I mean, you, you don't have a name, but that you have been referred to as a stranger. I assume that either comes in later games or is just a name fans have given to the player. I character. think it's just a name fans have given. Uh, but anyway, you stumble upon the book, a book called Mist, and you like press it and you fall into the world within it. That This book contains a world. Uh, and you discover that uh, books can contain world. There's this like, magic writing that makes like worlds from the writing inside these books. And you find two books among the library of burned books. Uh, and it contains each of them contain a, uh, a child or not a child a, a man who is the child of uh, Atrus who is you know the um, creator of this island and all the islands within it um, and one of them is Cirrus and he's like a fancy boy ah yes hello ah, and the other one is Agnar and he's like just completely insane clearly evil like <laughs> give me the pages and they ask you to find <laughs> the pages in the world in order to free them and that is the central plot you need the pages to choose which boy you're going to free uh, or at least that's what you think the plot is until you actually get to the end and the what you're meant to do is free Atrus instead who is their father uh, and then he's like, oh, actually, both of them are evil and burns both their books and kills them. And that's the end of the game. That's the and whole he, he, he gives you He gives you run of the island while he's busy writing forever and ever. <laughs> it's hilarious because in the bad ending, you can like, so there's three bad endings. Each of them you are trapped within a book forever. Uh, one of, in two of them you get, like, if you choose one of the kids, you get swapped with that kid and then they like trap you in there. Uh, but if you just don't solve the final puzzle but go into the book with Atrus in it, you just are trapped and can't leave, which is hilarious because then he's like, I'm going to go back to my writing now, even though he's been trapped in here forever and now has someone to talk to. Yeah, that cracked <laughs> me up too. He's just funny. sitting there silently ignoring you. <laughs> like, um, aren't you lonely? Ah. <sighs> Well, hello, friend. I've I have been writing for many years about the books. I must bring justice to my sons. Mm -hmm. uh, the the story of Mist is strange because it kind of goes against all the seriousness and the adultness of Mist that is talked about. Because it's the most hinky bullshit. Even though I love it in a way, like it doesn't have a time period. It's kind of it's Victorian, kind of like definitely in the past but also there's a spaceship like it exists at this amalgam of time but also the sons are called Cirrus and Agnar and they're all like acting like ridiculous um like occult Victorian times like very room-like in terms of <coughs> like what the characters are and their sensibilities and so you just have this very strange out of time story about the justice of suns and worlds, even though you only barely see the suns and you only see the worlds as empty ideas, as puzzles. Also, so it's, just... it's I think it's worth pointing out, nobody can act. Yeah. Yeah, no one can act. 
especially the uh, evil particularly son. Cirrus, who is supposed to be like this like egotistical like fancy lad and basically just seems like a game developer trying very hard to like go to the Ren Fair and seem cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the the the, the um the people, who, the actors are like the brothers, right? Like Rand yes, yes, it, it's Rand. ridiculous, but yes. Oh, that's really funny. Uh, and then Cirrus is like, so when I was playing through the game, I assumed that Agnar was going to be good, uh, and Cirrus was going to be evil because fucking Cirrus is the most obviously instantly evil, and they like try to load up Agnar, Agnar or whatever his name is, as like, oh, he's clearly crazy. Um, so he's probably evil, but I assume they were going to, like, subvert that. And the way they do that is they're just both as much, like, monstrous cliches of parody that they clearly are, which is <laughs> very funny and leans into the fact that no one can act well. Like, they get away with it, but God, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's fun. Oh, go ahead, Destiny. Oh, I was just going to say, it's fun because then when you realize they're both, like, super duper evil, it's like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, no, the bad acting is really charming. And also, it kind of takes away from, like, the serious, mysterious feel of the game, but, like, I don't know, I can't complain. Because I thought Um, they were funny. The thing that I really like is not actually the brothers themselves, but the ways that the world you go into tell the story of how the brothers became the way they are. Mm -hmm. Uh in the books in the library, it, like, references, it, like, a time where Atris went away, and when he came back, the brothers had, like, started, like, setting up lordship over the, like, remnant, like, the people who lived on one of the ages. And he was like, oh, I can't let this keep happening. I need to watch my sons better. And when you go into the ages, you find, in almost every age except for the Selenic age, you find, like, the living space of each of the brothers. And uh, Cirrus is always, like thrones and telescopes and <laughs> riches and like giant treasure chests and but you f- then you find like a note from Agonar who like yells at Cirrus for like levying taxes against the inhabitants of the age um but then when you go to Agonar's room it's like skulls and <laughs> stained devices. beds and torture devices and like the ways in which both these brothers like started sniping at each other for like trying to oppress the people of these ages in different ways is like it's cartoon villainy but the way that those spaces are like just these rooms that you like look into is like oftentimes very effectively creepy and i like that the the ways in which that space is evocative uh it's cartoon villainy but it works because it's two opposing forms of cartoon villainy which like merge into eventually working together yep Uh, i like Uh, that part of it and the, the ways in which they, like, the brothers basically say that uh, you know, by the time you get all their pages, like, oh, uh, they each accuse the other one of killing their father. And then when they're like, go get the last page, like, don't touch the green book. Don't do it. Don't look at it. Uh, <laughs> and if you touch the green book, you're like, oh, there's their father. He's in a book. That's weird. And then there's <laughs> the note uh, in Agonar's room in Channelwood Age where Cirrus, like, left a voicemail on his, like, weird speaking head worship god pillar uh (laughs) where he just like he's like spouting like gibberish language at the inhabitants of this place but one of the messages is just like oh i'm gonna record over your voice and i'm gonna be like here please tear out a page but only take one and hide it away and that's how you like find the white page for the green book uh like hidden on the island and that that's how you like solve the good ending of the game but that whole like brothers trying to like get one up their father and then the father got them trapped in books and everyone's been trapped in a book for an indeterminate amount of time that could be like <laughs> it could be five minutes it could be 300 years like nobody knows uh that sort of playing with like the 
mythic qualities of the world is like one of the most interesting parts to me. Like it just seems like a place in which time has zero meaning. And I like, I've always liked that about mist. Yeah. The timelessness is kind of fun and it, it makes it more surreal and therefore very believable. Like the world is probably the best thing about it. Like, I mean, I know that's kind of the point, but I have to say that. And uh, that's, I think that's it, unless someone has anything else to say. Um, I did, and then Destiny said it, and then I forgot. And so it's oh, gone. Sorry. Tragic, tragic. Well, no, it's my own fault. I was like, ah, I'm going to say this thing. It's going to be a good point. I know. I feel like I should have something deeper to add on. I, I'm sad I didn't grow up with the reputation of mist over my head, because I feel like I would have appreciated it more if I had. It was always just talked of in my circles as, oh, it's an old computer game, the end. And I never knew, like, people had these feelings towards it. So I feel like I missed out generationally. Missed out. I missed out. <laughs> hey oh. Did it. I like the segment. Atri- oh, go I like that Atris <laughs> is, like, meant to be the fucking good guy. And all he does is just sit around writing creating entire worlds of actually sentient people from his writing who like it's clear that even though things are only made real by the books to the people they're like they're still real people who are being like oppressed by these brothers and just like so there's like multiple you know weird reference but like multiple fucking phantasmo genocides occur in the um opening of this game uh <laughs> so <laughs> It's crazy. The, the thing that I like, so the few things having not played Riven. So I know Riven is about the, an unnamed character being tasked with rescuing Catherine, who's Atris's wife, who's been ki- like kidnapped in the land of Riven. Um, and Atris alludes to that at the end of the game where he's like, my wife has been taken. I need to like work on these linking books to find her. Um, part of like the, una- the unanswered question for me is I don't think the I don't think the linking books create the worlds. Because in the stories of those worlds, there's a lot of like, we had to go in and we had to build a boat for them. Like they couldn't just write in, we built a boat. They had to go and build a boat. And I, I wonder whether or not it's a world in which you had to like the link, the writing of the story only allows you to join with it or whether the writing of the story is necessary for its creation in in, like the first place. And I don't think, Mm. I don't think it's clear in that game and I'm, I'm sure it will be clear in the future. I know there's like missed novels where like the novels are about like Adris's grandfather had the linking ability and he's evil or something like that. I Uh, I am a hundred percent sure that were we to continue on this journey, the missed law and the rules thereof are very concrete. (laughs) Someday I will know. Someday we will all know. Yeah, yep. not, 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 not this day. Second Force questions, you can send us questions at question podcast, podcast at abnormalmapping.com. 
send us whatever you want. Send us questions on our theme club games. Send us random questions. Would you rather's? I don't care. Just talk about your memories of any video game. It'd be great. We just want you to send us stuff. Just do it. Just do it. Um, we have a question, Jackson, you said? Uh, yes. A question from uh, Daniel Parker, which is presumably directed at me, <laughs> who asks... What is the most pop punk video games? Question mark. I don't know enough of pop punk to define what. Like, does that mean like in soundtrack? What's the sensibility of pop punk that a video I game would, would have to evoke? Like, probably fucking Sunset Overdrive. I haven't played it, but that's like, you know, linking back to that kind of skinny jeans. Like, the the fact is that there's so many different like eras of that that have already begun you know, fighting each other to death on different parts of the internet and playgrounds everywhere, but it's a kind of meaningless question. I mean, it's probably Ooh. Burnout 3 is the answer. Something but... with skate skating, or something like, um, like, almost like, uh, Life is Strange, where, like, <laughs> you're a teen, and you're just like... Life is like, Strange is a good one. Life nobody understands you. <laughs> Beyond Two Souls... Yeah, yeah, totally. No, think about the teens. You've got to think about the teens. Okay. Why was Dota the joke that you said you wouldn't, you'd have to explain to me? <laughs> Just because of, like, the defend, fa- defend pop punk, like, meme and Facebook group and website and everything. I don't know what, what is defend pop punk. Well, this is why I said I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to de- explain defend pop punk to any of you. You're, you're too pure. It's no, I, I want to like, explain defend pop punk. It is like a advertising catchphrase that came about in the um, like early 2010s when like there was a kind of pop punk revival coming back of bands like the Wonder Years and fuck, what's the uh, Man Overboard? Um of just like, oh, pop punk's not popular anymore. We're going to def- bring it back. We're bringing back pop punk. Defendpoppunk.com. Hashtag defendpoppunk. Look at our memes. Like, it's just a very dumb internet thing that I like to joke about, is all. That's all. Okay. There you go. Great. You learn things every day. If you want more of this, listen to the <laughs> fucking Amory score. Yes. So, next Game Club game, me and Jackson are playing. Knights of the Old Republic 2. The oh, Sith yes. Lords. Oh, yes. snap. Oh, it's time. Oh, yes. Fuck yes. Get uh, How many jump cut genocides are in this game, Jackson? Zero. Not a one. Yeah, that's what I think, too. <laughs> <laughs> or like 20. Nah, I, I bet it's zero. <laughs> yeah. There was already two of them in the first game. <laughs> so many jump cut genocides. Uh, please look forward to that. I know that there are people who are anticipating us playing that greatly. Uh, Heather was very excited when I told her we were playing that game. Uh, everyone who's ever played it loves it, and we like ragging on Star Wars. So, it <laughs> was a good time. Out of the way before the fucking new movie that like brings up Grey Jedi and stuff, like discourse hits. Oh. Yep. Uh, I yeah, am no, dreading same. when the the movie is the thing that everyone wants, where it like questions the morality of the Jedi. Uh, so I'm dreading that because. You just know that in December, all the think pieces are going to hit like it's the first time anything has ever done that with Star Wars. Uh, and hey, we're Jackson. All die. Yes. From my point of view, the Jedi are you. <laughs> and you are lost. 
<laughs> we can't. Uh, we can't. Speaks in absolute. <laughs> no, we can't. I have the high ground. <laughs> Fine. So please look forward to that. We're playing. Uh, if you get it on Steam, Steam Workshop support, you can just put the mod that restores the ending and all of the cut content in. It's very easy. I highly recommend it. That game's available on GOG and on your phones and tablets. You can play it pretty much anywhere at this point. Uh, but we'll specifically be playing the game with the end game, like the re- restoration pack content. Yes. Um, so that's it. Jackson, please tell people about our new podcast and where they new, can find it and you. We have a new podcast. It is called The Amory Score. It is me and Molly who are going every week, track by track, by the fucking lore discography of the co- band Coheed and Cambria. If you want some high-level bullshit... Uh, please listen. It's a goofy time. It's a very silly time. You will learn things. You will be like, what the fuck is this? Uh, and you'll get to enjoy us uh, professing our love for music that you probably hate. So it's good. Who is Molly and what is the URL? Molly uh, is a friend of mine um, who you can find on Twitter at your friend Molly, which is your friend <laughs> Molly, but with a Y-E-R. I know. It's very fun to say. Uh, and the, you can find the cast at abnormalmapping.com slash T-A-S. Destiny, where can people find you? At FridgeBuzzNow on Twitter.com And if people donate to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash mapping, you can find Destiny on The Goof Zone with Jackson Which uh, still exists uh, You can find that on iTunes the three episodes that exist of that podcast Eight! Oh, yeah. Fuck it's off! A, eight! It's a, it's a good podcast <laughs> Like It's, it's probably the thing I get asked Almost more than Battling Girls, which more people listen to, not to brag, but it's really wonderful and um, encouraging. So please donate, because I'd like to bring it back. It's a fun podcast to do, even though it's about very serious things. Uh, And so couple things. You can find my playthrough of Mist on our YouTube channel, along with Full Throttle, which I'm now playing through. That'll be going up for the next week after this podcast airs. you know, just go to YouTube, type in abnormal mapping, you'll get there. Uh, you can check out me and Jackson's Star Trek Book Club Second Officer Slog at abnormalmapping.com slash SOS. We cover Star Trek books so you don't have to. You don't have to read them. You only have to know what Star Trek is and love it to enjoy those books. I swear it's a good time. Please listen. It's great. If uh, you are it- listening uh, and uh, want to write us any Star Trek questions, now is a very good time. Write them into podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We are recording... Uh, the next Jack- episode, episode three. Yeah, we'll be recording that two days from the time this airs. So no one's going to send us anything. Look, I thought it was a... Ha- uh, return to the plug zone. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> As always, support us at normalmapping.com or patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. Go to abnormalmapping.com for all of our shows. Find your friend. Tell your friends. Find your friends. Find tell your friends, friends after you oh, find you them. You didn't want my help. You don't want my help. <laughs> <laughs> after you found your friends, please tell them. Share our podcast. F- follow us on Twitter. Uh, Jackson, did you say Twitter handle? I don't remember. It's been a disaster since then. That <laughs> falls off. Oh my god. And oh. I am at emo underscore being destiny. You're at fridge buzz now. We're all mm-hmm. on Twitter. Be our friends there and enjoy our shows and come back next month for more Star Wars. Never stop Star Wars.